I just enjoy Mike's humor. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand, would you? Because so much of what we do is respond to God's leading and guiding, and so much of what happens through the week is your silent serving. You are one that God has placed out there to respond and then then to do the will as he prompts you to do it. So this verse that we're going to look at is the key verse to this whole series we've had over the last four weeks. And so would you say this with me? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Let's say it again together. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. This is really the basis of the series that we're talking about, whatever it takes, which are some words that are in our our vision statement. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes, and we use this word purposely to serve, because Jesus came to serve and not to be served. And so what we want to do is serve the West Metro, which means anywhere where God has placed you in your life and in this area. And to do it all in the name of Jesus. A lot of times it's just silent. It's doing it in the name of Jesus. And, And so what that, my paraphrase of that is, What gives me life is to please God. And that's what our prayer is. We have a great opportunity. I just want to share this with you coming up um, on February 15th. Uh, It's kind of our Valentine's Day gift to the community. We have a thing called Parents' Night Out, Kids' Night In. Normally, we would do this for young couples to be able to get away to either, you know, have a meal together, especially on Valentine's Day weekend, the 15th, or an opportunity for that to happen, or for parents, single parents, whatever, to drop their kids off to be able to go out if they're running errands, they need to do something or meet with someone, or, or if it's just to get rest. We have done this in the past, but the people who have staffed it has been our youth, but they're going to be on retreat. So we need you. We need to fill spots. So that when these kids come in, we will have all the stuff in place, but we can take care of them. And what we would love for you to do, younger couples or single parents or young parents, is we'd love for you to drop your kids off and spend from 5.30, 8.30 to do what you need to do. We'd love for you to invite another couple uh, that you may know that may need this. Some of you who know you have kids or others, um, and let's say you're not going to be one of the young parents, but you're one of the parents like me, older you may know someone you can invite. We really want to serve with this. And see, we want to say, as Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So let's pray. Father, we ask that you would take our lives, that we would silently go about your will, influencing the lives of those around us without the need of a pat on the back or a thank you. But God, we would do that like you, Jesus, showed us how you did that. And I pray especially for this Parents' Night Out, that the parents and those who use this, that you would bless them. And for kids, they would just have a great time together. We pray that you would make this something that would have an impact in the lives of the people that we serve. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
I'm going to read to you John 4, 27 through 38. And, and, and really this passage of scripture in John, we've started back in John, verse 1, goes all the way through verse 42. It's one of the longer stories that you have of Jesus, and especially here in, in John. He has long discourses, but this is an actual story that he kind of places right here, right after he says in John 3 that God has sent his son to love this world that they might have a, a, not just a quantity, a long life, eternal, but a quality life in relationship to him. So that he comes to this passage of scripture and they're coming through Samaria. And I loved how Peter said it last week. I'm grateful for Peter. I probably should kind of, I mean, I, I heard the things he said about me. Um, I'll let that go. But I will say, I thought he said it was kind of interesting. He said, imagine this. When when Jesus was going to cut through Samaria, he took the shortcut and went around that area of Samaria. It would be kind of like Viking fans going around Iowa and not going through Packer territory in Wisconsin. You know, that's the kind. So what you have is this picture of Jesus going through. And as he goes through, he comes to this well. And at this well... His disciples go, they're hungry, they go out to get something to eat, and as they're doing that, there's a woman who comes to the well, as Jesus, I imagine, is leaning up, sitting against it, tired out from his ministry that he had in Jerusalem, the work he was doing there, and he engages in conversation with her, has this conversation, and touches her heart as he reveals himself to her, and we come to verse 27, it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked what do you want? And who are you talking? Why are you talking with her? And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And don't you have a saying, it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. I have to share with you as you go through this passage, the word surprise is used a number of times. And, and if you follow Jesus and choose to follow to, to get to know him, you will find that he will surprise you again and again. Because what happens in our lives as believers, I think it happens as people, we like to kind of define control things. We like to put things in a box. And we often do that with God. We say this is who we understand God to be. <clears throat> and we think somehow that if we can just get him nicely defined within our mental confines, we in some ways can understand God and, and that moves to another place that we sometimes even seek to control God to be what we want him to be. But if you walk with God, you will find that your God is going to break that box again and again and you'll find that your God is too small. He's not powerful enough. He's much wiser than you thought, more loving, far more creative. He's forgiving and merciful and patient and playful and joyful and all kinds of things that we don't even realize. And so... 
when you come to this passage of scripture, you'll find that the 12 disciples live from surprise to surprise. Can you imagine walking with Jesus? And again and again, you're surprised. People were surprised because at first, one of the things he did is he called disciples to himself, but he didn't call the valedictorian of Hebrew University in Jerusalem. He didn't go around Jerusalem scouring and looking for the best of the best. He didn't look for the first rounders. He actually took the B team and took a bunch of fishermen, a tax collector, and some zealots, and he put this team together. And he would surprise people by who he brought around him. He surprised people because here is this Jesus who is righteous and holy. He's a rabbi. And rabbis were known to not touch those who were unclean, but Jesus would come up to a leper and touch him. And and they would blow again their categories of who this Jesus was. Who would have thought that after um, being awakened from the sleep in the back of a boat, and Peter, probably irate and frustrated, a, a well-versed and experienced fisherman who has been a skipper of many boats, is grabbing Jesus and saying, don't you care, we're going to drown. And Jesus gets to the front of the boat and does something no one had thought. He just said, quiet, to the winds and the wave. I'm trying to take a nap. Now, I put that, I'm trying to take a nap in there, but... Um, who would have thought Jesus, meek and mild, would take a rope and blind it together and make a whip and go into a court where it was meant for Gentiles to seek God and he would take that whip and, and, and drive out those who were changing money. He kept constantly surprising them. So as we go through this passage of scripture, prior to what I just read, it says, and I'll use the Living Bible, a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus asked her for a drink and the woman was surprised that a Jew would ask a despised Samaritan for anything. Usually they wouldn't even speak to them. And she remarked about this to Jesus. Now if you come to verse 27, here's the first surprise with regard to the disciples. Once again, they're coming in. They're just coming from lunch and they see just Jesus and she's, he's standing there talking to a woman. And it says, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one said and asked, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? So they kind of came up and from a distance they can see that he's talking to someone. And that's not what the surprise is that he's talking to someone. Jesus loved people. He welcomed all kinds of people into his presence. People you wouldn't expect. You ever have someone like that that you um, know in your life who, whenever you turn around, they're, they're all of a sudden starting to talk to another stranger. They just, you know what I mean? They're that kind of person. Well, Jesus was that kind of person who just, people entered in his life and he, he just easily began to converse with them. Well, they weren't surprised by that, but they were surprised by the fact that, one, he was talking to a woman as a rabbi. Secondly, they were surprised that he was talking to a Samaritan woman. And beyond that, because she came in the middle of the day by herself in the heat of the day, which was not something that women would do. They would come early in the morning and they would come as a group and they would do this as a group and they'd leave. So the fact that she was there by herself told them as well that she probably was an outcast, a spice, somewhat immoral. Something was going on. And they look at Jesus. And the message puts it this way. Just then his disciples came back, they were shocked. They couldn't believe he was talking with that kind of woman. No one said what they were all thinking but their faces showed it. You ever had that kind of experience? I, you, you look at and you can't, you go, really? You know that surprise face? Like, Try it for a second. Now, do your surprise face. Okay, now turn to someone and give them your surprise face, okay? Yeah, I see a, a couple good ones there, right. Well, that's what's going on. And, and so he comes up and, and, and you have to think about this for a second. In your mind, here is Jesus doing something that shocked them. 
who he was talking to was someone that they would never expect. And I think we can do that ourselves. We can look at certain people, we can have in our own categories that this person has gone just too far for God to love them or for us to spend time with them or to actually engage in conversation with them. But Jesus created a culture, a kind of atmosphere, where he went, broken people, people who were filled with shame, felt welcome into his presence. Shame is this amazing thing that happens, and in her life, I'm sure this shame was a part of her life as well. Shame is one of those things that loves to live in silence, it loves secrecy, and it feels constantly judged. And it's not just a judgment of others, because, you know, it's interesting. I'm sure that as they were coming up, she, you know, had been shamed many times. She can read on their faces what John just wrote. People who live in shame are really good at taking nonverbal cues from people. They can feel your attitude towards them, whether you work next to them, whether you see them in a, in, in, in a school setting while you're watching your kids play um, some kind of instrument or a, a, some kind of sport. They can, they can read it on your face. And that's what I think was going on here. So how do you welcome people? We say, and, and, and you see it again and again every week, everyone is welcome, nobody's perfect, anything's possible. How do we do that, not just as a church corporately here on a Sunday and throughout the week, but how do we do that as the church that is actually the people who go out silently and serve? What does it look like to welcome someone into your presence who's feeling shame? I uh, was given a, a blog by an author named Chris Valentin, and he was sharing his story about <clears throat> he had noticed that a relative, one of his relatives named John, wasn't showing up to some of the holiday functions. So when Thanksgiving came around this year, he called this John, his relative, and said, John, we, man, I missed you. We'd love to have you come. You know, we're having Thanksgiving. And John gave him some kind of excuse. And and so he said, well, how about Christmas? Why don't you come for Christmas dinner? And, and, and his relative John gave him another excuse. And they went back and forth for a while until finally John kind of just stopped him and said, you know, Chris, I smoke, and I know it bothers the rest of the family. I hate smoking too, and I, and I feel really bad because every time I go outside, it's kind of a problem, you know. And, and Chris was kind of surprised by that, he wasn't, he wasn't even aware of that's what was going on. It was keeping him from these holiday dinners. And he said to him, it's not a problem. You know, my mom smoked all of her life and I sort of liked her. Um, and then he said, I love you much more than I hate your smoking. You've been welcome at my house forever and we'd love to see you. And he writes that, His relative John helped him understand how people who don't feel like they measure up can be welcomed into belonging and how important that is. And here's Jesus, and they look at him, and they've got this face. I can't believe this. And she's reading their face, and she's feeling a sense of, I'm sure, wanting to leave and get away. So how do you connect with someone that that is in that place? There's, there's really some simple things. I'm going to give them to you quickly that Chris mentions a bunch more, but I'm just going to mention a few. The first is just, be humble by remembering where you came from. One of the best things you can do if you're struggling, if anything like that, is just remember what it felt like for you to be away from God. What it felt like you when you didn't feel like you measured up. Recall those feelings of just not being good enough. 
And, and that not only just be humble by remembering that, love people for who they are, not what they could be. That's a, that's a really important thing. Right where they're at, smoking, whatever it might be, it's important to let people know that they're loved, not because they change or perform, but because they simply are who they are. Give people hope without requiring them to change. Oftentimes we try to give people hope by saying some things like, I, I, can, I believe you can change or something like that. And often what that actually does is says that there's something wrong with you. Let's love them. There's, there's another thing that needs to happen. It's not only you give people hope without this requirement to change. I mean, Jesus came and, and he healed lepers and they left. And there was some of them that had a heart change. Only one came back. God was constantly, through Jesus, giving grace and mercy. Be empathic. Listen from the heart without feeling the need to correct opinions. That's a really hard one for me. Empathy without trying to correct their opinion. So like when you're talking with someone, they go, you know, I know I'm a mess. You go, no, no, not you're not. You know what I mean? Empathy basically just listens and, and connects with them at that heart level without correcting them. Because sometimes when you correct them, you're already saying to them, you're stupid, let me tell you how you really should be. You, you, ever, you ever feel that? And then, and then a really important thing too is just to show interest in another person's life. It's sometimes really hard. I, I remember an occasion where I was meeting with someone and it was like dead silence, you know, because that person's interests were not mine. I remember meeting with him and just trying to find places. All of a sudden he started talking about movies and I don't, I'm not really big into movies, but that connected and it was through that little connection that we began to start building some relationship. You may not be interested in the things you're interested, but the truth is you should be interested in them. Which means you'll do what it takes to welcome them. So the surprise number one is that Jesus loved, accepted, and welcomed people in his life. And he did it through some really, I think, simple actions that we can do as well with people around us. If you go on in verse 28 through 30, you'll see the second surprise. It's kind of one you got to catch here. Then leaving her jar, her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything that I did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and ran towards Jesus. The woman leaves behind her jar. It's kind of a little bit of a surprise. She went out there and she should have probably bring this heavy water-laden jar back with her. And I love that John adds this little detail. Isn't it kind of interesting? He could have easily just said, you know what? Don't I have a lot of papyrus here? You know, I better just save some space. I'll take that out. He doesn't. And I think purposely he, he puts it in to surprise us. You know, you have to ask yourself, why did she leave the jar of water and run back? We're not told by John, but I think you can kind of see it in the story. You, you could kind of think maybe she was upset. She saw the look of the twelve. She saw that she wasn't wanted. The shame registered as she saw the nonverbal cues, and she then left. It's possible, or it could have been she was momentarily confused. My mom used to use the word she she was discombobulated. Anybody use that word? Discombobulated. She just was discombobulated, saw all that, and then and, and it's almost like accidentally forgot and ran. I think, I think she was so moved by the love of God and the reality of who Jesus was that she just chose to leave the heavy jar and run back to town because she was so excited about what she had experienced and who she had met. 
I think she found what she had been probably searching for her whole life. In that whole conversation, she began to realize that her thirst, which she was trying to find in the arms of another man, and Jesus even corrects her and says even five men. Kind of like, I know that your heart is hungry to be loved, this unconditional love, to know that you are, that, that, that even with your shame, I see you. In fact, I'll tell you all about your life. I think she felt so moved by the love of God, by his grace and his mercy through Jesus Christ, that she felt so welcome, so embraced by his love, that as he said that it will be like rivers of water flowing from within. Instead of seeking it outside of herself through status or through the arms of another man or through her own physical appearance and, and looks or, or through some kind of sense of being popular in the eyes of people or, or having the right title, whatever it might be, enough money, whatever it is that you think that if you could just get this, and then you'd be okay. I think she was so moved when she came into his presence and felt so deeply loved from the core of her being that she looked at that water jar and said, I've got to tell others. Now I'm not going to take the time to carry this heavy water jar. I'm going all the way back and I'm going to tell people. And she said, I'm, I'm going to let them know. I, I love the scripture says, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I did. You could put it this way. Come and see for yourself this one who knows me inside and out and still loves me. And still loves me. Can you imagine how her day began? She had no idea of surprise waiting for her. She would come face to face with God. She would have an encounter with God. She had no idea that the dying thirst for love and acceptance that she was seeking would be found in a relationship the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. You may be seeking for that. You may have been in church a long time. You may have been coming to church and, and, and doing the church thing, but this morning God is saying to you, to your heart, I see you and I love you. You know, folks, we all have shame. If, if there was a revival, what would happen is that people would be able to be real with their stuff and others would say, I love you because I got stuff too. There would be such a change in our mindsets and perspectives with one another. People would begin to feel the rivers of love through even other people. But it would happen because deep in our core we would know it does not matter. It really does not matter what you judge me for. The nonverbal cues on your face when you maybe see or know this about me. What matters is the nonverbal cues in the expression of the love of God to you. Through Jesus Christ who said he would go to a cross because you matter so much and that he would die. For you. Rick Warren, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, says it like this. What surprises me most about God is that the creator of the universe should want a relationship with me. What I love about our vision statement, we're not telling people to go and, 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 and share about Jesus. That's part of the process. Hear me very clearly. At a certain point, God opens the door for people to share. And sometimes we're not bold enough to do it. We need to be bold to share the love of Christ, but we're just asking people to be silent servants, to build a platform of love so that there's an opportunity in your relationship as you grow to be able to tell people what she told them, that I know someone who knows me inside and out, and that someone loves me in spite of it.
John 4, 31 through 34 is the next surprise. Meanwhile, his disciples are eating. They, they say, Rabbi, you got to eat something. He said, I have food you don't know about. Disciples say, could someone have brought him food? They're wondering where he got lunch. And he just clarifies, my food is to do this. this is, the surprise is basically what he's eating. And we've talked a lot about this, so I'm not going to go much into this. They're wondering, and he goes, guys, I have food, my food. The thing that causes me to truly find life, gives me energy, is to do what pleases my Father. And then verse 35, the next surprise. He kind of surprises me. He says, don't you have a saying? I mean, it's kind of an interesting thing. I think what Jesus is doing, he's talking with them about this. He looks up and he sees coming over the hills is the town. The woman probably leading the charge, and here is the town following behind him. And they're in their robes. You know, they're kind of these white robes. They're coming towards him. And he looks up and he says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. And I think they're going, why? You know, their backs are here, and maybe they're back here, the people. And he's going, you know, and he's getting to think, and they're going, yeah, well, yeah, you're right. It's, it's going to be a while for harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. It's kind of like, turn around, open your eyes. And this is not just physical seeing. He's saying, spiritually, begin to discern with your heart. Because the fields, if you look in, are ripe for harvest. And what he's saying here is we have seasons based on the calendar of the year. And we're in winter and the cold of winter. And we know there comes a time when you plant. And then there's a time in summer where it grows. And we know there's a time in fall where it's harvest. What he's saying is in the spiritual realm, people who are perceptive and, and seeking to discern realize spiritual seasons happen by the preparation of work of God. It's not a timing thing, you know, certain months of the year. It's how God is working in their heart. And he says, spiritual seasons are spiritually discerned. And so he says, they're white. And he sees them running. And he says to them, look at all these people who are prepared, people you didn't think. Here's what surprises them. What surprises them is who and where God seems to be working. And I don't know if you're like me. It's so easy to not walk with spiritual discernment, not ask God, God, where are you working today? Whose heart are you working in? What are you doing? And it's so easy to write people off, to judge them, to cast them aside. The very ones that God has been preparing for you to encounter. But do you have eyes to see? When there's a spiritual season where a person is beginning to be open to God, there are some signs. There are things that happen in people's lives that you can pay attention to. So it's not just you got to guess. There really are some things that go on in people's lives that sometimes opens their heart and prepares them for the work of God. Like when people are uprooted. You're living in a neighborhood and someone moves in. It's a real good chance that they're moving out of state. They're looking for friends. They're looking for relationships. It's, it's a time when a person's uprooted. But maybe they're starting college. A kid's starting college. Or, or you look at all the immigration that's going on when people come over. Sometimes some people get rigid back into their, their way of life and, and try and surround themselves. Some come and are beginning to be open because they're seeing things different than they ever saw them before. There's also times when people are open because they're in a time of crisis. They all of a sudden have been told they have an illness or there's a death in the family. There's a crisis within the marriage or, or a, a parent is having trouble with a child or an adult child is having trouble with parents. And in those kind of times, they begin to start to cry out because what happens in most of these situations is they're taken out of their comfort zone, out of their sense of control, and they start looking for someone who they can trust can watch over their life. 
There's another um, one that you can watch for, and that's when people are in transition. Like people who become empty nesters. Or they change jobs. Or, or even in the case of starting a family. I had this happen a few years ago, and I'm going to ask Nick, where are you, Nick? Nick, if you would come forward, and I'm going to ask you just to share a moment, because you called me. You have how many kids now? Three. So you have three kids now, but you called me when your wife was pregnant with your first child, right? And, and, and why did you call me? Got a whole bit close? Good. Yeah. So uh, I guess the reason for reaching out to Kevin was strictly because I, well, quick background. So I grew up in a household that, you know, we didn't have faith as we didn't go to church, we didn't pray, we didn't do that kind of regular Sunday, uh, Sunday morning. And so when I found out that my wife was pregnant with our first son, I was kind of overcome with this sense of helplessness. Yeah. And so I found myself actually praying for the first time probably in my entire life and felt that I was being somewhat hypocritical (laughs) because here I was praying and I didn't believe in God. So it was kind of this weird thing that was happening. Um, and then I figured, well, maybe it makes sense for me to kind of explore what I'm doing a little bit more. Yeah. So you called me and why me? Yep. Well, so I'd known you kind of informally for quite some time. Your daughters are friends with my wife, uh, have been since the Wadler days. Yeah. And um, so it just seemed like a logical next step. Yeah. And uh, so I saw I saw Nick growing up and didn't know you real well. And and you married one of my daughter's best friends. And then all of a sudden one day, you give me a call. And I went, whoa! That, it, and it was so cool. We we met at Boulevard. Yep. We sat down and 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 you just started to share with me some of this kind of stuff. And uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, but you said to me, one of the reasons that you called me as well, it's not just because you knew me, but what was some of the, the other thing you had mentioned me? Well, you've always been, well, I've known you were a pastor, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you've always been really warm and inviting whenever we would run across one another, uh, despite your yelling and screaming at the hockey, hockey games. games yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I would go crazy at hockey games, that's true. <laughs> you thought, you'd think you were from but Three's But I didn't River, yell and scream at you, right? No, no, yeah. No, so. <laughs> No, so we sat down and I, I and I just sat and it was really cool because you just started to share it and I just had the opportunity to listen and and all I did was give him a book called Mere Christianity and you read that and you're a voracious reader you started reading everything I gave you so yeah cool. and then Mere Christianity is obviously a great story book it's pretty um, pretty tame yeah yeah so and and so in that whole process. Um, I found it really interesting. It kind of opened my eyes to this whole idea that there are people, when they go through these different situations, begin to start saying, hmm, how does God fit into my life? Anything else you want to share? Well, obviously, it's been a blessing ever since. Um, Kevin also came when our son was born, so kind of this praying obviously has continued in our life uh, ever since. But um, you're shifty because we were uh, after... <laughs> well, Okay, tell me. Yeah, what, I know. This I is, know, this where, is where we're leading I, with this. I should have never said what else you want to say yeah, anyway. My surprise face was my text when you had said, well, yeah. come next Sunday. <laughs> um, but no, so then, obviously, it's been a blessing having you in our lives. Uh, after our son was born, he was a little bit early, but about a month. And uh, we're in the, the NICU with our son. Uh, he may or may not have been like in those little heat huts, I was calling it. 
Uh, and then all of a sudden the nurse came and said, uh, oh, uh, your grandpa or his grandpa's here. Did I see him? <laughs> and I was like, well, I don't, I don't remember anyone telling us that they were coming. And then like through the door, all of a sudden Kevin shows up and it's like, oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I told him I was your pastor, but anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but you prayed over him and, um, obviously that's been, uh, and what's been fun too is the opportunity then to invite you into a small group to get connected with other guys. And that's been really cool. So. Yeah, I'd say one last thing. I mean, obviously, life events are kind of catalysts for change, and change is a tough thing. Um, and then what's kind of the worst that can happen, I guess, Yeah, <laughs> is that somebody will say, no, I invited my best friend to uh, one of our small groups. Um, he's a non-believer, and he was having some difficulty with pregnancy and some other things, and I invited him, and he just politely declined. And right. He said, actually, I think he said, no, thanks, but not at this time. Yeah. Maybe there's another time. But. So it's just worth reaching out. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Nick. Appreciate it. Yeah. And so many of you guys do that kind of thing. Just that simple look for, keep your eyes open, spiritually discern what God is doing. Because he just might surprise you. Like Nick said, you, you, you might be doing the hard work of just breaking up the ground and tilling the ground. And you may just do that part and never see that person again. You may be in a situation where you say some words of truth and love and grace that sow the seed of Christ in their heart. And you may not ever see it begin to spring up. Some of you are doing that work of cultivating and, and weeding. How many like to weed? There's a few. So I pray God calls you to the weeding ministry. But um, what happens is, is whatever step you're in, it does not matter what their response is. What matters is your obedience to do what God's calling you to do in that moment. And you see all these surprises, and they come together. And, and what we want to do this morning, and I'm going to ask the team to come forward. We're going to actually take some time to respond and to do so in silence and quiet. One of the things I'd love for you to be praying about is God calling me to invite someone into a small group. Is What is God doing around me? And, and maybe pray, God, is there a harvest? Is there, some, is there someone that I'm supposed to be welcoming into my life that I haven't seen, that I need to pay attention to? And so I'm going to ask if Andrea would come and, and if she would share. Are you here, Andrea? There she is. And she's going to come and share and kind of set up this time. We're going to, we're going to go into a time where we're going to have a song, we're going to sing it, and then we're going to go into a time of silence. And so, Andrea, you want to just tell us um, what would be important for people as they kind of go through this time of silence? Because sometimes when I say be silent and listen, people are kind of going, what am I supposed to listen for? Well, one of the things people expect to hear sometimes is this loud, booming, audible voice of God, right? Like you're crying out and you're saying, God, I really want to hear you. But Jesus is the word of God, as described in scripture, alive, active, and living in and through us. And so we just want to make sure that our hearts are in tune, listening for the word of God. And one of the ways it might come to you when you're in prayer is through scripture. And that's why scripture is so important to be in and reading every day is because Sometimes God will bring a scripture to your mind, and that'll speak to you in a way maybe it hasn't before. Another way, you know, Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit, whom the Father would send in his name, would teach us all things, and that he would be with us forever. So we're going to be just listening, right, as the Holy Spirit is in us and talking to us. And after the Holy Spirit was poured out on the 120 in the upper room, Peter said, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and your daughters, daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And as you ask God to speak to you, you might have a dream. Um, Kazim and his wife both had the same dream, which actually brought them to faith. A vision could be a picture in your mind or a word or something to focus on. But one of the most often ways we hear God is through that still, small voice, as we sometimes call it, or a deep impression, something that just feels stronger in your heart than maybe other things have, or words that you might not use typically but come to you. And so after this next song, we're going to take a few minutes of silence to listen, and there will be slides on the screen to help you follow along. Um, But the next step is just as important. If you hear God speak, the next step is obedience. I'd like to invite you, if you'd like prayer at the end, there'll be people who would love to pray with you right out here in the Fellowship Hall at 1030. We'll be meeting for the congregational meeting. As you leave this series as we end, we have these stickers, and uh, I, they, people put them on bottles, on computers, on all kinds of things. You can grab one of these. It reminds you what it is that we're about, whatever it takes to serve Jesus. Go and serve him this week with love and knowing that he loves you. God bless you and have a great day.